podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is another player profile episode. Today, we are going to talk about Napoli's newest center back, Kim Min Jae. As always with these episodes, I'm joined by someone a lot smarter than I am to help me with this profile. Today's guest is the man behind the Fenerbahce News UK account on Twitter. Yit, welcome to Fortunopoli. Hello, mate. Glad to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. So let's get right into it. Of course, I asked you to come onto the podcast because Kim played for Fenerbahce last season. Now, with all due respect to the Turkish Super League, whenever a player transfers from a club that's not in a top five European league, there's a little bit of doubt as to how they will adapt. Prior to joining Fenerbahce, Kim played for Jeonbuk Hyundai Motors in the K-League One, which is the top flight of Korean football. He won the league twice, and in his debut season, he was named Young Player of the Year. After that, he played for Beijing Guan in the Chinese Super League. I'd suggest that the step up from China to Turkey is similar to the step up from Turkey to Italy. So let me ask you, before we even get into his qualities, both pros and cons, just what were your expectations for Kim when you found out that he was purchased by Fenerbahce? Well, to begin with, uh, we've never really signed any players from Asia, like Korea or China. So a lot of the fans are quite weirded out by that. Because Turkish League, usually we usually go for like old players from Europe, you know, who are like Martin Skirtle kind of players who are in their thirties, whatever. But um, we had Vitor Pereira at the time. He was our coach. He's a Portuguese man. I don't know if you know him, but he was coach at Beijing, and he had coached Kim. I think the previous year before he came to us. I'm not too sure, but um, he insisted that we should sign him. And a lot of fans were, you know, they were just thinking, "Who is this guy?" because there was videos and stuff about his skills and how good a defender he is and about, you know, him becoming a young player in China. But at the end of the day, one was like Chinese league is not the same as Turkish league. Yeah, the Turkish league isn't great, but it's low in quality Turkish league, but Chinese league is a lot lower. Like you said, it's quite similar to the Serie A from the Turkish league. It's a different step. We had low expectations expectations to be honest but you know he was linked with the likes of Porto and you know our coach purely himself wanted to bring him in it was at his request and there was also the fact that he was a national team player for Korea which was something you know it's always important for a player to play in their national teams I think that's very important for many clubs when signing players I found a review video on YouTube by a channel called uh, Jasis CSL Football. So it's all about the Chinese Super League. And the host explained that in the Chinese Super League, you're only allowed three foreign players. So he said it spoke volumes that Beijing Guan were willing to use one of their three spots on a relatively unknown sort of young South Korean player. So even before he went to Fenerbahce, they were kind of 
skepticism, I guess you can say, about Beijing Guan signing him. It turned out to be a wise decision. In his first season at Beijing, the team conceded 19 fewer goals than they did in the previous season. And then that caught the attention of clubs like Tottenham. However, Fenerbahce purchased Kim from Beijing and they were willing to sell Kim after he got himself into a little bit of trouble. He was on a YouTube show called Daosu Live with a South Korean commentator, Park Moon Sung. And Kim basically said his defensive partner was not very good and that the team should let him go. Now, from what I read, it seems like he was just being honest, but I guess it was considered disrespectful to talk about a teammate that way. Anyhow, Fenerbahce paid 3 million euros for Kim and signed him to a four-year contract. That turned out to be quite the steal, considering that Tonham were reportedly willing to pay about 15 million euros for him at the time. They just couldn't get the deal done for whatever reason. After only one season at Fenerbahce, Napoli paid his 20 million euro buyout clause, or just under that, I think it was like 18 or 19 million euros. So he must have lived up to those expectations or perhaps even exceeded expectations for Fenerbahce fans. Is it true that Fenerbahce fans were preaching on social media that Kim is actually not that great with the hope of deterring prospective buyers? Oh, that's the thing with the with the Turkish league and supporters. You know, Fenerbahce, Besiktas, Galatasaray are all very big clubs, diverse with millions of fans, and a lot of fans can be salty. I, I personally don't believe, and I think a lot of fans for Fenerbahce, we all believe Kim's a very good player. You know, I feel like some fans are bitter or annoyed at the fact that he left. And there were three reasons I like to point out that a lot of fans may have been angered and resulted in this action. We had a UCL clash qualifier against Dynamo Kiev in the past week or two. We had two games knocked out now. A lot of fans were, you know, saying at least play these two games and then go for a bit more of a legacy to help us to get to Champions League. Fenerbahce is a club who hasn't been in the Champions League since 2008. You know, it's a very, very long time. And has been overtaken by rivals Besiktas and Galatasaray. So as a club, and we haven't won a title since 2014. So a lot of the fans were also saying, that he should stay for one more year, you know, get a title running and then go for even a bigger fee, potentially. A lot of the fans criticised Kim for using the club as a stepping stone. But I personally think he's very professional. You know, he went from China to Turkey to Italy and maybe his next goal could be going to the Premier League or Real Madrid or, you know, as a stepping stone. You know, he's a professional player. At the end of the day, it's his job. As long as he gives his 100% to the club when he's on the pitch, that's what matters. And I personally think he did that at Fenerbahce. Yeah, I saw the, uh, I guess it was a two-legged tie. The first leg finished nil-nil. And then the second, uh, was it a 2-1 loss? Or it might have been in uh, stoppage time? Uh, yeah, it was 2-1 loss. But 50th minute, we got to 10 men. We were dominating the whole game. To be honest, we hit the post twice. We're getting a lot of chances, just didn't have the finishes. Yeah, 50th minute, got a red card, went 1-0 down five minutes later and then got somehow a header from a corner, 88th minute, and then the plug was pulled around second half of extra time and we lost 2-1. Yeah, so I mean, the way the way that played out, I don't know that Kim necessarily would have made the difference. Maybe he would have. But yeah, I think it's always a touchy subject when you have a player that's he may had either already signed the contract at the time or you know at least was in the negotiations and now you have a, a buying club that I guess doesn't want to risk a potential player uh, getting hurt. Now, 
Kim gave his first press conference with Napoli on Saturday. And one of the things that stood out to me was his focus on mental strength. When he was asked about the pressure of going from Turkish fans to Napoli fans, he said he was aware of both and almost compared them, you know, both being very similar in terms of how passionate they are. And with respect to the pressure of replacing Kaladu Koulibaly, he said that that is motivation for him, not pressure, because he's mentally solid. Again, when he was asked for a strength and weakness in his game, he said temperamentally he's a very strong player and that as a starting point, he does everything to stay balanced. And by now, we've probably all seen the big Carpe Diem tattoo on his chest. Carpe Diem means seize the day, and Kim says that he always tries to think positively. That confidence, that self-awareness, really convinced me that certainly as far as mentality goes, he can handle the transition from Turkey to Italy. That's a pretty important quality, especially for a club that at times has lacked that kind of mental fortitude. What other positive qualities can you tell us about Kim besides that mental strength? Uh, you know, Simon Kerr played for Milan. Yep. Because he used to play for us as well. I personally think Kim is a lot better than him. I mean, we only saw Kim for one year and we saw Kerr for two or three years, but Kim and Jay is a lot better than Simon Kerr as a player. They're different type of centre-backs, but from this is only my personal opinion, but Kerr won the league with Milan, didn't he? He did, but he missed was most he, of the season. Was he injured? Did he yeah, ACL? He, yeah, exactly. And, but, then, and you could argue, actually, that his absence, as much as Milan fans would have loved to have Kerr in the lineup, that led to the partnership of Tamori and Kalulu. Mm. And and Milan won the Scudetto because during the home stretch, defensively, those two were so solid. Milan conceded so few goals. In a way, you can say they they won the Scudetto almost not because Kerr was hurt, but he didn't necessarily contribute as much to it as as some of the others. Um, but he's like a proven player, isn't he? Though, at the end of the day, yes. Like he was the starting center back, and had he not gotten hurt, he still would have been for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd like to firstly say I think he's he's a very disciplined player. You know, he's a typical role player. I mean, he's got the quality, but he listens to what the coach says. I think is a very good quality, and he's a type of player in the change rooms and the dressing rooms. He doesn't create problems. And I've seen the new video, Napoli, the Angham style and stuff, and he seems to be getting along well. But Afena, he was very quiet, actually, on the contrary. So it's good that in Napoli, he started off with, you know, good morales and he's stepping up and entertaining the whole team and being a proper team player. I mean, he was a team player at Fener too, but he was a bit more quieter when he first came. Maybe the, the move from China to Turkey is quite far and Europe, especially, you know, when he first came, he was very quiet, timid and shy. It's just the first few weeks it was like that. And then as soon as he got used to it, he had a good relation with the fans. We saw a lot of YouTube videos about him and he respected Turkish culture. And he was almost like a Korean ambassador in Turkey. I don't know if this makes sense, but the relations between, you know, Korean fans and Fenerbahce fans, it was a good little combination. And a lot of Korean fans started to respect Turkish culture and Turkish fans start to respect Korean culture because of Kim himself. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there. They do have English subtitles on Fenerbahce channel with Kim, so maybe you could watch them in your spare time. But also, in terms of on the pitch, I think he improves a lot of players around him. 
I said he doesn't talk, obviously, that was in the first few weeks. And then he started, as, as he started to get, you know, the chemistry up with his teammates, with Salai, who's his partner, the Bulgarian centre-back next to him. I think in game, he also allows space and attacking freedom for full-backs because he's just, he's got that explosiveness in him. He's actually, you know, you look at him, you think, God, this guy is 190 metres, nearly is really tall, he's big. You're going to think he's not going to be very agile, he'll be slow. He let a lot of pacey wingers, strikers past him. But no, uh, on the contrary, he's actually very good at catching up with players and closing the gaps, which also allows the fullbacks to attack. Because at Fenerbahce, we always have attacking fullbacks. That's just how the club's been. He's also good at um, winning the ball in the opposition half. Like I said, he elevates the attacks and creates chances, which is not very usual. For a centre-back, I guess in the modern-day centre-backs it is, but yeah, there you go. He's a prime modern-day centre-back with a bit of pace on him. We see a lot of him darting up the pitch to open up the game, which some fans can view as risky because there has been times where he lost the ball when he darts up, but there's also been times where he opens up the game more. He's got good feet and he's very confident on the ball. Uh, he's a good tackler, he's a good interceptor, and he's strong in the air defensively. Attackingly, we haven't seen much. I think as a mentality, he's a warrior. You know, he's nicknamed the monster. You know, he's a very timid, shy guy. But on the pitch, he is a gladiator. He's literally a monster. You know, like I said before, he's very professional. He knows what he wants with his career, which is very important at football. So he can only concentrate on his football. Yeah, he has. He's been criticised in China. He's had a bit of things going on there that ended up for him to leave. But in Turkey, we saw none of that, to be honest, because all we concentrated on was his football and his wife home and to work that little brigade that he had at the end of the day I think he fought for the badge you know he never gave up in games he's hard working he's a modest and clever man because a lot of the time he, he reads as well he started to read Turkish books as well about Turkish culture and Ataturk and stuff like that so I think he's a very open-minded man and he's very professional and he just his only concentration is to do well on the pitch. He doesn't talk. His feet does the talking, I'd like to say. Yeah, that video was, uh, maybe they got it out of him because it's a kind of a Napoli tradition where almost like an initiation, I guess, for new players that when you join, you have to sing a song in front of the team, but it's all in good fun and team building. So he he definitely embraced that moment and, and got a lot of love from Napoli fans for that. You know, the most obvious quality he has is his size. You mentioned that he stands at 1.9 meters tall. That's about six foot three for our North American listeners. That size combined with his aggression, I think, is why he got that nickname of the monster. Kim made his debut for Napoli on Sunday, and in 45 minutes of play, he must have won four or five balls in the air. And one thing I've noticed about when he wins balls in the air is also that he's not just trying to be first to the ball, but he's also looking to start the break in one motion with, you know, by directing his header forward to hopefully one of his teammates that are open. We also saw him play some accurate long balls, which is another positive quality that I've read is part of his repertoire. Kim himself said that Koulibaly is irreplaceable, but that is something that Koulibaly was very good at as well. So I think he is filling the void there. And another quality I've read about is that for someone his size, he's very good on the ball and playing out of the back. We know that Napoli like to play out of the back. Is that or was that a feature of Ismail Cartel's 4-2-3-1 last season? Yeah, well, in Turkey, um, usually the big three, Fener, Gala, Besiktas, you have the difference in quality 
uh, in comparison to the rest of the league. These three teams always play out the back and try and you know keep the possession, start off slowly in the build of tempo. And yeah, Ismail Cartel used four at the back with Kim. Pereira had him at a three, four, three, kind of go five when it's defensive, but it was a three, four, three essentially. Cartel had the four at the back, which I think Kim did a lot more better because I don't know, four at the back is a lot more traditional. And I think he thrived better. I mean, the whole team did. And as the whole team did, so did he. He had a major role in our defensive distribution. Like you said, he does have a lot of good long balls in his locker. He also does, you know, always win headers. There was some times where he let it bounce and it went over him, but he still managed to catch up and use his pace to clear it out. So even if he made that initial mistake, he'd always be there to cover up his own mistake. But yeah, no, as he got used to playing with the team, he got better, you know, towards the second half, the stage with Cartel especially. He wouldn't let any headers go back, really. I'd like to say Kim performs better in a settled down team with a lesser rotation changes. So that's what we saw in Cartel. Pereira rotated the team a lot in a 3-4-3. We saw different lineups every week. With Cartel, we saw a lot calmer and concentrated team with one main goal of winning every game they go up to. And in that, we saw nine matches unbeaten run, which Kim played in, which this was towards the end of the season. But in that nine matches, Kim played 804 minutes, nearly all being 90. I think one of them was 84 minutes or something. And he kept four clean sheets and he's very impressive. If Trabzon Sport hadn't been, you know, they were phenomenal this season. They won the league by quite a few point gaps. But we also, you know, we had that in the last few weeks. We still had the chance to win the league, which is very low. But because of Kim and how the team were doing in that last 10 to 12 weeks, we've had a chance to win the league. We got second. We've got Champions League. Now we're out, we're back in, you know, a month or two ago. Second was still better because we were above Galler and Besiktas at the end of the day, which is very important in Turkey for a club like Fenerbahce. You always want to be above your rivals, in my personal opinion. And yeah, I think on the cartel, Kim was a lot better. He wasn't bad with Pereira at all, but with Pereira, the whole team was cloudy, mixed. One game would be good, one would be bad. Under Pereira, he did very well, I think, as the whole team did as well. So, yeah, I think chemistry with his teammates, a settled team and playing, you know, consistent lineups is very important for Kim to thrive as a player. I think he'll have a consistent lineup at Napoli. I think when we've seen Luciano Spalletti rotate his squad, it's typically for different competitions. So he might have, you know, a preferred starting 11 for Serie A and then maybe a different preferred starting 11 for Champions League or Coppa Italia. Although with Champions League being at the same level or maybe an even more important competition than Serie A, maybe we'll see a bit more rotation, but that back four will be pretty consistent with Amir Rachmani as a center-back partner, Di Lorenzo as the right-back, and he's a workhorse, so he'll play probably every match and every competition, and then maybe there will be some rotation at left-back. One of the questions Kim was asked at that first press conference was, whether he plays on the left or right side of the center back pairing. And he said he'll play wherever he's asked to play. Now, players will often say that even if they really do have a preferred position, judging by how he was used at Fenerbahce, it certainly seems like his preferred position is the left side of the center back pairing. You mentioned the change in manager midway through the season. Pereira was Fenerbahce's manager at the start of the campaign. And I was looking at the squads and I see what you mean in terms of the rotation because. Even though Kim typically lined up as the left-sided center back in the back three, 
there were occasions where he played on the right. There were occasions where he played in the middle. But I guess that also shows that he's capable of playing on both sides. And then under Cartel, he was pretty firmly placed on the left side of the center back pairing. Now, just about everyone who's been asked about Kim seems to have only good things to say about him. Our first friendly match at Castel di Sangro was against another Turkish club in Adana Demirspor. So they obviously have some experience playing against Kim. Both Gohan Inler, who's an ex-Napoli player, and Vincenzo Montella, who's an ex-Serie A player and manager, sang high praises for Kim. Inler said he is different from Kalidou Koulibaly, but I would buy him right away. He always did his best against us. You can see that he has something special. I've noticed that for a year already. And when Gazzetta dello Sport asked Montella about Kim, he said he is very strong. He made a very good impression on me. He's a complete defender with a great physique. And for what it's worth, Montella added also that he has a positive opinion of Matias Oliveira, who's our new left back. So with all of this praise for Kim, does he have any weaknesses in his game that come to mind for you? Um, of course, I think every player has some sort of weaknesses. You know, that's what football is. Every year they try and improve it, apart from the likes of Messi and Ronaldo. But a lot of players have weaknesses at the end of the day. But what matters is their positive pros outweigh their weaknesses and obviously them working to overcome their weaknesses. In Kim, there were a few weaknesses which weren't really relevant because of how good he was. His pros overshadowed his weaknesses. But if I was to name some, I'd like to say he sometimes took too much risks. You know, I said he darts forward with the ball on his feet. He is good with the ball on his feet for a centre-back. I think he's very good for a centre-back carrying the ball up the pitch. But there were times where he took too much risks and, you know, he'd lose the ball and would get a counter-attack. But like I said, he's pacey, so he'd be able to get back. But there were times where in the Turkish league, the lower-level lower teams, they usually have very pacey strikers and wingers. They might not be technically gifted, but that's how the Turkish league small teams are. They just rely on counter-attacks. So there were quite a few occasions where, especially at the start when he wasn't used to the Turkish league, where he tried to, you know, open up the play by running up past the halfway line to play, I don't know, to our right back overlapping or something like that. And, you know, it'd be a mistake and would get a counter-attack goal or not. I'm not too sure. I'm not given a specific scenario, but there's been a few of these. So, yeah, he does sometimes waste possession in long balls as well. I think he's very good at long balls, but Fenerbahce, a problem with Fenerbahce was we signed Urza and everything, but he didn't play well either. There were some media problems or other domestic problems with Urza as well, but we didn't have a kind of a playmaker, like a... Our midfield was good in the second half of the season, but at the start, our centre-backs were our playmakers, which is quite ironic. I know in the modern day, centre-backs play a lot of over-the-top balls, but you can't just keep doing the same thing with a centre-back. You've got to keep it on the ground. So at times where we couldn't play forward, so we'd change from left to right, but from right back to left back, playing the ball at the back with our centre-backs as well. So yeah, there were quite a few possessions wasted in long balls from Kim at the start maybe because he wasn't used to it as well and he was a bit more panicky at the start. But like I said, as the season went on, he got better at that. But again, you know, as a centre-back, yeah, you're meant to play out long balls, but you're not meant to do too much. It's, at the end of the day, it's your, your job is also just to give it to the midfield and let them carry the ball up the pitch. So I don't want to criticise Kim too much on that because he has improved on that anyway. One main thing I'd like to say is lack of experience in European football in terms... So we were in Europa League last year. 
And I think he did okay. I think as a whole team, we didn't do too well. We only kept one clean sheet in six Europa League games. Kim played 90 minutes in all six of them. And in one of them, we were crushed 3-0 in a defeat against Olympiacos. Kim did also yeah, play in that game. And, you know, it's rough. It's tough to blame one player for this. But, you know, he's our best centre-back. So I do have to mention these. It's not really a weakness. I don't know how to put it. But Kim is a part of the team as a whole team. He was in that 3-0 crush. So I think I should still mention that. I think in terms of positioning confidence, he was off in some of the Europa League games. You know, this was, again, in the early stage with our Pereira time. So, like I said, the team was a bit cloudy and there was rotation, like I mentioned. So I think that could be another reason why and he was getting used to the team still. I'm not saying he played bad at all. I still think he played OK. We did bad as a team. But, you know, I have to find some sort of weaknesses and these could be some, I guess. Yeah, like I said, he took time to adapt. Started off with quite a few personal mistakes in the first month of his appearances. But I don't think they were too bad at all. I don't really want to criticise him, to be honest, because I loved him and he was very good for us. But I'm trying my best to find some things to critically point out. In terms of defence, he was very good aerially. But in terms of attack from corners, he didn't actually... He wasn't really like a Sergio Ramos type of goal-scoring defender, which is not expected from a defender, like I said before. That's not what he's there for anyway. He's there to defend and get those clean sheets. You know, corners, free kicks. He did get the height on the jumps, but the timing of the headers, he wasn't very good at that in terms of trying to, you know, get a header in and score. But despite his height and physique, he still has that good jump. So he can jump high and he's pacey. You know, I'm going to, I'm complimenting him now, so I should better stop. But I think there's not a lot of weaknesses to him overall. It's just an adaptation period, I'd like to say, and getting used to the team. And, you know, like I said earlier, having a consistent starting lineup so he gets to know his team well. I think that's very important because I said he was quiet at the start. So as he gets used to the team, he talks more with his teammates, gets better at positioning match by match. Personally, I think in Italy, he could have a rough start because the difference in the Turkish league and the Italian league, because, you know, Olympiacos and Royal Antwerp were in our group. And I think a lot of Italian teams are better than both. But I should also say we didn't lose to Frankfurt and they won the competition. We could have even beaten them in the first game. And in that first game, Kim actually had played very well. I think we drew one all and missed their penalty in the later minutes of the game. It sounds like even in terms of his weaknesses, he'll probably fit in well at Napoli because, you know, historically, or at least for the last few seasons, we haven't been great at converting corner kicks. We often take short corners and kind of waste them, play the ball back and just pass the ball around. We do have some other players that are, are big bodies. I mean, Rachmani is very good in the air and Gisa is big. We lost Koulibaly, who contributed the occasional goal with his head, but I mean maybe one or two a season. So we're not talking losing a ton of goals. Even in terms of just experience playing in Europe, Napoli haven't played in the Champions League over the last two seasons. So there are some players in the squad who will still have that experience. Guys like Fabian Ruiz, for example, maybe Piotr Zielinski a bit less. But one of the concerns is that a lot of the the senatori, as they call them, the, the long-standing players have departed this season. Koulibaly, Insigne, Mertens. These are all guys that would have provided that Champions League experience. And being realistic, I think 
the objective for Napoli in this upcoming Champions League campaign is probably to get out of the group stage. We're coming in, you know, as a, a team in the third pod. So, you know, there's going to be at least two very strong clubs in our group. And with our luck, we'll probably draw Chelsea as one of them just because Koulibaly went to play there. One thing that concerns me a little bit is the fact that he had an ankle surgery back in May. Fenerbahce confirmed that the surgery was successful and it seemed maybe relatively minor because the expected recovery time at the time was anywhere from two weeks to two months. And it looks like the recovery and the rehab went well. But for someone his size, I do worry a little bit about the risk of aggravating that injury or having a similar injury in the future. He's, he's so big, you're putting a lot of pressure on your joints at that size. In that video I mentioned earlier by Jesus, he identified two weaknesses, but I'm not sure how relevant they still are because that was before he went to Fenerbahce. One of them was his lack of aggression when facing off against quality opposition, which for someone who's nicknamed the monster, I'm not so sure that's really an issue anymore. And then the other was his stamina. Were any of those concerns for you during his time at Fenerbahce, his stamina and playing off, maybe respecting quality players a little too much? I think in terms of aggression, yes, he's nicknamed the monster, but like if there's fights or brawls in a game, he wouldn't really be the first man to go up there, which I respect because, you know, if football is played on the pitch when the whistle's played, you know, when the whistle stops and there's a fight, you know, I get a lot of fans and a lot of players want aggression because, you know, you used to have players like Cantona and Pepe and Ramos who like show aggression, show passion. But I think there are other ways of showing passion without getting violent on the pitch and playing it clean, but also playing it professionally, you know, like Puyol or players like Kante, you know, you never see Kante aggressive. I mean, just he's the silent man who does his role on the pitch and he does his job. And Kim is, you know, I think he got the nickname because of his height and because of his pace because you wouldn't expect such a tall man to be so fast. But yeah, I mean, sticky situation. I think he is passionate, but every, you know, every human's different. He doesn't have to be specifically angry if he just does the right tackle at the right time and ruins the goal-scoring opportunity for the opposition. Maybe in his head, he, that's, you know, that's his way of putting his aggression in the pitch without showing much emotion, but actually doing his job and getting the win. I think that's very professional and it's very, you know, admirable, to be honest, which I, I respected from him because Fener had players like Diego Lugano or Martin Skirtle. They were very aggressive players. They are very good centre-backs in our history, but I think sometimes it's the best to be calm and composed because then you avoid, especially being a centre-back, you don't want to get booked a lot as well. You know, you get a yellow card, you can't be as free when you're tackling. you got to pull back sometimes, which can result in goals too. And the other thing is stamina. Um, I think at the start of the season, you had lack, you know, stamina was a bit lacking due to the elevation and the league difference between China and Turkey. I think the Turkish league is, the quality's low, but the fitness is, I'd like to say it's a bit high. Obviously, it's nowhere near the Italian league or the Premier League, but it does have, like I said, a lot of smaller teams have fast players, pacey players who are agile and have good acceleration. You know, they're not, they're not technically gifted, but they just rely on that counter-attack game. So I think at the start, Kim was a bit stumbling in terms of stamina holding up. But I think as the season went on, I think, especially with Cartel's arrival, I think the trainings, I don't know what Cartel did, but I think his stamina increased a lot with the new arrival of the manager. And 
and especially playing that one position with Salah at left centre-back and Kim at right centre-back. I think that was very solid. At times, Kim went to the left and there'd be Sadr Aziz, which is another centre-back. I don't think there's a problem with Kim's stamina, for the Turkish league at least. And in Europe, I think his stamina was still OK. Maybe like games are Olympiacos when we lost. But I think that's just an anomaly, you know, where the team played bad as a whole. Because we were down 1-0 and it was around 60th minute and then the second and then the third goal came 10 minutes consecutive 10 minutes after but I, I think it'd be a bit tough to say he has no stamina because I think he does but like you said he has been injured he's gone through the summer camp he has played in a few friendlies with us at the earlier stages of the season but once he was linked to Rene and Napoli Tottenham that's when when he started to have the meetings he had lesser trainings I believe but I personally don't think his stamina is that bad for a centre-back at least and it's the start of the season, he might start off a bit rocky at the stamina, but I think towards the October, December time, worst case, I think it'd be to his regular. Okay, that's good to know. Just to touch on on the aggressiveness, I don't think that should be a quality that on its own you seek out. I mean, if a player is, not, is sort of naturally that way, then that's good, but you don't want someone trying to sort of change their personality. If he's you know, a disciplined player, which it sounds like he is, then you want him to just be the best at, at what he is and not to keep comparing him to Koulibaly, but it's kind of similar again, where Koulibaly is not naturally an aggressive person, but he was very disciplined and kind of a quiet leader on the pitch. So it sounds like Kim has that quality as well. We talked about his character already a little bit. One thing I just wanted to add in terms of his personality, there was a nice moment at the end of his first press conference that I keep referring to. And, the conference concluded and everyone was about to leave. And then on his own, without being asked to do it, Kim leaned into the microphone and said, Grazie Forza Napoli sempre, which is kind of like the first thing that every Napoli player learns to say if they're not naturally Italian speaking. So it does seem like even though he might have a quiet personality, he does have a, a good personality and he'll be a good player to have in the locker room. So let's move on. We're going to continue talking about Fenerbahce players, both ex-players and incoming players. So what we're going to do is we're going to switch seats for a little bit. The ex-player we're going to talk about is Elif Elmas, and the incoming player we're going to talk about is Joao Pedro. So I'll let you ask me the questions, and hopefully I can give you some information to share with your followers. Uh, thank you. Yeah, the tables are turned now. It's my turn to ask the questions. Yeah, as, as we know, Fenerbahce signed Joao Pedro from Cagliari, I believe. And obviously they're in the Serie A and Pedro has played consistently in the Serie A for a few years. Maybe they went down, did they go down to Serie B, Cagliari? Or did they, yeah, they did that? early in his time there and they came right back okay, up. Okay, so but the last few seasons, the last three or four seasons, they've been in the Serie A, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so I do have a few questions about that as a lot of Fener fans do. Because he is probably, yeah, he is our biggest signing so far of the summer. I think we paid around 6.5 million euros for him. Uh, obviously, we were racing against Galatasaray to buy him as well. So it was a good transfer, a good player. And also getting past our opposition to buy him was important for us. You know, top of the Fenerbahce culture to overpass Galatasaray and buy him players. <laughs> anyway, I'd like to firstly ask, you know, he's been in Italy for some time. And every fan wants to know if he'll thrive in Turkey. But the main question I have is, 
what do you think is his most comfortable positions? Because a lot of fans have said he plays 9, 10, 9.5. But what do you think is his most comfortable position in the from what you've seen in the Serie A? I would say he's a 9. I think he's a pure goal scorer. He's the type of player that can convert his chances as they present themselves. I mean, you look at Cagliari, and I was looking at his stats as I prepared for this, and Cagliari, even though they've been in Serie A for the last few seasons, four or five seasons, they've always been just sort of competing for survival, and yet he consistently produced. In 2018-19, he had seven goals and three assists, and Cagliari finished in 15th. In 1920, he had 18 goals and four assists, and they finished in 14th. So maybe that extra productivity bumped them up a position. In 2020, 21, he had 16 goals and three assists, and they finished in 16th. And then last season, he had 13 goals and four assists, and they were relegated. So even though he's playing for a team that's near the bottom of the table, this guy just kept on scoring goals. And, you know, he's 30 years old, which I don't really see as a big issue he doesn't hasn't really shown too many signs of slowing down he was born in brazil he's a a sort of a naturalized italian he was called up to the italian national team for the world cup qualifying playoff match which ironically was against elif elmas's north macedonia although elmas was suspended for that match i don't know how much to read into that if i'm being honest though because italy are in a bit of a crisis as far as strikers go and he only played one minute in that match, so he didn't really get to do much. Also, the national team is always, they seem to give priority to naturalized players for whatever reason. But putting that aside, I think he's a great signing. I think he's he's a very good goal scorer. Yeah, but as you said, he scored 18, 16, and 13 goals in the last three consecutive seasons. My question is, how come no Serie A clubs have had any, in- or have they had any interest in him? I think there was. I don't know why no club was able to get a deal concluded. Perhaps it's the age. Perhaps it's it's hard for me to put my finger on it because I think there are a lot of clubs in Serie yeah, that really could have benefited from having a player like that. Maybe it was because on certainly on the upper echelon teams, he would have been probably a second option because if you look at, at the clubs at the top of the table... They all seem to have, other than maybe Milan, who who have been looking for a striker. And, you know, they had Ibrahimovic and Giroud did very well last season, but they're kind of lacking in that department. But the other top clubs, they've all had, you know, Napoli, we have Victor Osimen, Juventus has Dusan Vlahovic. Maybe they could have used Jao Pedro before Vlahovic came. Inter had Lukaku, he left and came back. I think he probably would have done very well at the next tier of clubs like Fiorentina, Hellas Verona, those clubs. And then when you get to that level, then I think the price becomes a bit of a challenge. Six and a half million euros for those teams is a significant amount of money. I think Fenerbahce or or the other big Turkish clubs might be more capable of spending at those prices than even some of those Italian teams with how the, the pandemic has impacted them financially. Yeah, I get that as well. Another question I have, do you think um, Pedro will elevate his game more with a pairing up with another striker? So I saw that I looked upon that Pavoletti was his striker partner in Cagliari and Pavoletti, I believe, is a poacher kind of player that brings it down and Pedro is obviously the one who finds the space and is more of a finisher and 
Pedro faces the goal more and Pavletti, you know, uses his physique to bring the ball down for him. So do you think you need like a poacher kind of striker to pair up with Pedro? I don't think he necessarily needs it. I think he's shown that he can play beside a player like that, but he can also play and create on his own or, or play as a, a lone striker. The thing with Pavoletti is that he was sort of in and out of the squad sporadically. He wasn't really a consistent player. Pedro's been there all the time and has started consistently. So I feel like if he has someone like that with him, he can adjust and he can play off of a poacher's sort of tall, traditional striker. But I don't think he necessarily needs that. One last question on Pedro. Do you see him, you know, to ever, I know you said he only got one minute and obviously Talentino going through some tough stages. Do you think, you know, if he does dwell at Fenerbahce, if he does score in the Europa League and he gets a bit of, you know, momentum going on in his career, do you think he'll receive more minutes in the Italian team? I wouldn't rule it out only because, again, the, there's so few options for strikers on the national team that anyone who's playing well, I think, will will at least get a look. I don't know whether Mancini or if Mancini's replaced at some point, whether they'll factor in the fact that he's playing in Turkey. Like we saw how well Mario Balotelli did last season and he still didn't get the call up. I mean, Balotelli's a, a different personality altogether. But again, I think right now with the national team, there seems to be a focus on youth and trying to bring through some of the younger players, guys like Raspadori and and those guys, but there's still not that many traditional number nine. So I think if he plays well, he can definitely get get a look on the national team. Oh, I was going to say as well, Balotelli was doing great last season. Towards the end of the season, he scored five goals in one game. One of them was a, a Rabona from the left side. I know it's the Turkish league, but it's fun watching that guy play, man. Yeah, after about he did about fifteen step overs first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's typical Balotelli, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and to be honest, I would absolutely love to have Balotelli at Napoli because it's a city he's talked about wanting yeah. to play for as a dream, but unfortunately mm. I don't think it'll ever happen. <laughs> maybe he'll come as a coach. Um, yeah, maybe. Who knows? He's got a wild character, but hey, he yeah. might be the comedian of the backroom. Yeah. So going on to Elmas now, obviously in, after 2018-19 had a great season with us and then he went on to sign for Napoli. Uh, I'll be honest, I've not been able to track him too much. As he first season he signed for you, I did track him. He got around 30-something appearances, I believe. Uh, and what he scored two or three goals. But I think, did he play more of a proper centre midfielder? Because for us, he was more of an attacking midfielder in his first season. So for you, was he more, I thought he was more defensive maybe or more of a natural eight for you guys? Well, he's been used still as an attacking midfielder. The The problem that Elmas has had, and, you know, it's crazy because I was, I was looking it up as well and I was reminded that he's still only 22 years old. He'll be 23 in September. It just feels like he's been at Napoli for so long already and he's he has so much experience already. But the challenge that Elmas has had, and it's, through no fault of his own, is that there hasn't really been a position available for him, or at least a, a set position. As far as attacking midfielders go, we've had Fabian, we've had Zielinski. They've pretty much owned the center of the midfield, at least in terms of the attacking midfielders. 
Elmes has not really been used as a defensive midfielder, but he's also shown both with Napoli and with North Macedonia that he can play as a winger, particularly on the left side. But again, we had Lorenzo Insigne there for years and years, and now we've signed Javicha Quarezhelia, who's looking very promising and very bright Georgian player. So again, I don't think Elmes will get a look there. And I don't think his situation has been helped by the fact that over the past four seasons, Napoli have had three different coaches. So he's constantly being used. He's become a bit of a utility player, which is important to have and useful to have someone that you can bring off the bench to play in a variety of different positions, someone that you can start occasionally, especially in in other competitions to give your regular starter some rest. He's a guy that even if he does start, he gives you some flexibility in terms of substitutions because you don't have to bring on a like-for-like change. You can move him to a position and then bring on a different type of player to fill the position that Elmas was playing in. So he's provided a lot of flexibility, and I don't know necessarily that he's lived up to expectations or you know, when you consider how talented he is, how skillful he is, it feels like he's been a little bit underwhelming, but again, I don't necessarily think that's his fault. I think with the club's choices, he's become a bit of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Um, I was going to mention, I think it was last season where Napoli, did you play Barcelona away? Elmas played, I think. He played really well. I think I'm, I don't know if it's the season before, but there was even like Fenerbahce Twitter, there was little clips of videos of him. I can't remember what he did. He did some sort of skill. Or I think did he not make Jordi Alba or something? I'm not too sure. But I think it's the season before then. Because I think it was the Champions League. I think it was Champions League three seasons ago, if I'm not mistaken. Because there was the, the match where Koulibaly gave up a penalty on, I think it was on Messi. I believe that was Champions League. Yeah. Um, and then two seasons ago, I don't think that we ran into Barcelona in the Europa League so it might I think been... I'm thinking of the last yeah the last yeah. matchup then yeah 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 so I was gonna ask if you had to set a price tag on Elmas what would it be I'd probably say somewhere around 20 million maybe a bit more 25 I think he has the potential to be worth a lot more than that but he hasn't been played often enough and consistently enough and his play itself hasn't been consistent enough to ask for too much but again he's still so young that there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there and you know whether it would be for a bigger club or maybe a, just a lateral move to a club that has a, a more permanent role for him i think he can still be a, you know a very very good player i've been very on the fence about elmas to be honest uh, you know there are times where i think maybe we should just uh cash in on him now because I don't know that he can achieve much more than he has with Napoli but then at other times he has moments of brilliance where he reminds you of just how how much quality he has so I I kind of flip-flop on this but I'd say yeah 20 to 25 million is seems like a realistic price oh well I hope he starts doing better and elevates his price because we have a I believe a five percent clause on him from when we sold him to Napoli so a lot of Fener fans on Twitter sometimes say, oh, Barcelona or this team, like fake rumours saying Elmas is wanted for 60, 50 million. So a lot of fans are like, yes, we have a 5% clause on that. But yeah, so you're saying he's around 20 million and obviously he's more of a role player, you said, in and out of the squad. So hopefully he's still 22 though, isn't he? So he's young. So a lot of Fener fans are hoping 
he has, still has loads of years to get better, but maybe you loan him back to us one day. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's still room to grow that value. I think of Fabian Ruiz, who is a, a fairly regular starter for Napoli, and he has been linked to clubs like Real Madrid. He's valued at around $50 million, so Almas definitely cannot be because he's more of a substitute. But what could happen is, you know, Fabian is most likely to leave next season. He's going to play out his contract and then transfer on a free. Zielinski has been rumored to possibly leave as well, or, you know, something similar could happen with him. So what I could see happening is that when those guys depart, then Elmas just fills in one of those positions. And if he can become a regular starter as an attacking midfielder, then there is the potential for his value to go up to 30, 40, 50 million euros. Yeah, I agree. It's quite a sticky situation. Yeah, now that'll be all from my questions, Jerry. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. So I think we can wrap it up there. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Likewise, Joe. I enjoyed it very much. You can find it on Twitter at Fenner News UK. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanopoly Pod. I will be back next week with another episode to review our friendly against Girona. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.